probably probably all could use some unplugging. Um, let's just pick back up at Genesis. Uh, just a reminder. So God creates the heavens and the earth, right? Creates everything. Then he creates Adam out of dust, breathes life into him, cuts open his side, takes out his bride. And then the next major thing we theme we see in Genesis is chapter 3 when sin enters the world, right? So we have an enemy. Uh, we, we, those of us that have read the New Testament, we know John 10.10 10 tells us that we have this enemy, but we, we have a friend too. We have the one who wants to give us life and give, us, give it to us abundantly, but we have the one who wants to kill, steal, and destroy. And this is the one that we see in Genesis chapter 3 when he comes to Eve and says, hey, what did God really say about this tree? And what he does is he gets Eve to basically question what God really said. And we find ourselves doing that today as well. A lot of times people say, what do you think would have happened if Adam and Eve wouldn't have eaten the fruit? And I say, Keith and Jackie would have. I mean, I really believe that. Like, if Adam and Eve wouldn't have, the next two humans would. And if they didn't, the next two humans would. That's our human nature is to choose sin. But what Satan tries to get us to do is to doubt the goodness of God and the truth of his word. I mean, that's really what was happening to, to Keith and Jackie Harmon six years ago when we find ourselves with this three-year-old three little boy and our world is upside down is, can we really trust that God is good? Can we really trust that we can trust him even when we can't trust anything else? And uh, can we really trust that he's going to be faithful to what he says? When we read scripture, it says a lot of stuff about us with God, that he'll never leave us or what? Forsake us. That he'll stick closer than what? Yeah, that he'll never turn his back on us, we, the security of the believer, all this stuff. But you, when bad stuff happens, when life begins to happen, you find yourself questioning all of that stuff. Well, that's what Satan wants us to do. He wants us to question all of that. And when we get married, he wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to kill your marriage, destroy your marriage, and ruin your marriage. I, I, I think about Satan this way. Uh, before you're saved, he wants to keep you lost. That, that's his goal, is to keep you lost. Once you become a Christian, he, he doesn't have that anymore, so he wants to keep you a baby Christian. Never grow. Never, never become the man or the woman that God wants you to be. Um, when you get married, I believe that you get a huge target on your back. I think that Satan hates marriage, and he wants to destroy marriages in the church and outside of the church. And when he does it in the church, uh, you hear people saying things like this. Well, the marriages in the church are no different than marriages outside of the church. Christian marriages are no different than people who aren't saved. And you say, why would you say that? And they're like, well, the divorce rate is the same. They fight the same. They argue the same. They're in counseling just as much as those. And they have a pretty good argument to all of that. But we have to remember, those of us that are Christians, those of us that are saved, we have to remember that we have an enemy who wants to kill, steal, and destroy everything good in our lives, including our marriage. So we have to to go back to God's word and say, okay, but what does God want? What does God want for our marriage? And Jackie and I think this is funny, but you can almost ask anybody, what does the Bible say about marriage? And I'm going to let Jackie tell you all what almost anybody on the planet can tell you when you ask that question. What does the Bible say about marriage? What do they say? Well, it's usually, like if you're asking a non-believer especially, they're like, the wife's supposed to submit to the husband. <laughs> I mean, hello, you're supposed to, like, you're the boss, and 
um, which is not true at all. Like they don't know anything else, but they know that. They're like, I know this, the women are supposed to submit to the men. Yeah. You're yeah. like, yeah, but what else? And they're like, I don't know if it says anything else. Yes. Well, before, and before we even look at that verse and why that verse is used, we purposely skipped over the most common marriage verse, which is in Ephesians, because we wanted to give you context than to view that verse differently. So, um, but more about an enemy that we have, I think that we need to remember, um, you know, you get, you get a small window of looking at God's relationship with humanity before sin entered the world, which is a really beautiful picture of God walking with them and talking with them and interacting with them and being, being, um, I mean, in wanting in them. relationship yeah, with in them. Relationship. And so, but you read in there that before sin entered the world, God had given work to us. We think work is like part of the sin. Like no work was is there on purpose. And and so then we also see that men were told to guard and keep um, the garden. And so um, God Himself told Adam, you know, you can have all of this. It's all for you. But there's this one tree, this one tree out of all of this that you can't eat. And it was not out of like, I dare you, don't eat that. It was like, when you eat that, you're going to be broken. We're, this is going to be broken. And so um, so when sin entered the world, fellowship was broken. But the, but the problem is, is, is that serpent never, never needed to be talking to his wife anyway. Adam had the authority to say, be quiet, get out of here. You, have, you do not get to speak to my wife. He was given the authority of all of all creepy crawler things of the earth, everything that walked, flew in the air. And so, um, so men need to step up, and you need to lead your families and protect them. You need to guard what comes in your home, whether it's through the front door or through uh, the sky, the cloud, the Internet. Like, you need to be a guard of what comes in your home, and you need to tell if something isn't allowed, you need to just claim it and tell it. You don't have any place in here. Um, you need to have authority over, you know, what books your family reads or what magazines are in your home or every single thing. You need to guard that. Um, but also for the wives, Satan came and talked to Eve because Eve did not hear from God himself. God told Adam and then Adam related to Eve. So what that tells me is a couple of things. The power that a wife has over her husband is, is the influence is really powerful. God himself told this man, and all it took was, here, honey, have an apple. All right, like, thanks. Um, because the desire for our husbands to please us is very strong. We saw it with Abraham and Sarah. I'm going to make you great nations. Take her. All right, like, let's go. Um, so the 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 power that I have over influence over my husband is very strong and shame on me if I don't use it to make him look more like Jesus and so for me I that also speaks to me like I need to know God's word for myself I don't need to rely on my pastor or my husband to tell me what the Bible says I need to know for myself so that when Satan comes at me I can come back at him with the truth of his word well, that goes back to that manna every day you don't just wait to come and you know, hear pastor preach on Sundays and stay out of the word the six days in between. I mean, you got to open up the manna, the word of God for yourself every single day. And these are things most of us know, but we just, we just don't do them. We don't prioritize them. We don't make time for them. And that's what Jackie's encouraging us to do and encouraging us men to do is even model that to say, you know what, this, we're going to do this as a family. We're going to be in the word of God. 
We're going to be in church. This is going to be a priority. Uh, we're going to go after Jesus with everything that we have. We, we want to John 15, 5. John 15, 5 is the verse that says, you know, I am the vine, you are the branches. Uh, he who abides in me, you know, that whole deal, the abiding verse. Um, most of us know that. It may even be our own version of that. Yeah, I'm supposed to be hanging out with Jesus. But that's really what abiding is. That's the John 15, 5 approach is spending time with Jesus. We know that we're supposed to do that, but I don't know why, but we, we all have the same 24 hours in every seven days, but we can't prioritize even two or three minutes. And what I find is that even when you just do it for five minutes, it makes a massive impact on every other hour in the whole day. And we have to be on God's word. We have to be gathering that manna for ourselves and for our families. And here's the, you know, the world may say, like, whenever our son turned 18, like, he can now buy a lottery ticket or he can, you know, buy cigarettes or, you know, he can vote. And, um, but that doesn't mean that he's actually an adult. You know, the, the law may give him, give him um, things that he is now able to do legally, but that doesn't determine his adulthood or his maturity. Just like the however long you've been a Christian doesn't mean that you are growing in Christ or that you're spiritually mature. So there's actually a test that you could give yourself to say, am I really growing in Christ? What, how spiritually mature am I? So the easiest way that we have heard um, is like if you're in elementary school, you do all your work at school, then you go home and play and have snacks and watch cartoons. Um, when you're in junior high, you do your work at school, but then you have some that you have to take home. And I know nowadays even elementary school kids have homework, but you take, you go home and do a project or do some papers or do some worksheets, but you have homework, um, not a ton. You're just trying to make sure that they understand the stuff. When you get into high school, you're learning part of it at school, but you're doing a whole lot of stuff at home. About 50% of it is you're, you're learning the principles and then you're doing it at home. Well, now we have one in college, and you go to class, and they give you all of this stuff, but all your learning is at home. You are learning, teaching the stuff to yourself, more hours than you are actually in class. And so for me, I'm a very visual person and I need some kind of uh, things to go by, but if I'm not studying outside of church more, if, if all that I need to know about Jesus and God's word I'm getting on Sunday morning, I don't know anything at home, I can tell myself all day long that I'm a spiritually mature person, but I am not. Um, if, if the majority of my studying and knowledge of God's word is not coming from me digging myself, I'm not spiritually mature. Like, that, that's what spiritual maturity looks like, is that you have a relationship with Jesus, and he is pouring into you and teaching you, and what you do on Sunday morning is just adding to that. And it comes, all of that comes from an abiding relationship. Um, I mean, every bit of it. You're not, you're not going to do that. You're not going to hide God's word in your heart so that you won't sin against him. You're not going to sit at the feet of Jesus. You're not going to worship Jesus as a lifestyle. You're not going to gather the manna every day. Uh, you're not going to have a fervent prayer life if you don't understand that, if you're not growing in that maturity. And when you're married, the good news is, is you get to do it with somebody. You get to encourage each other in that. You get to do life together, and you get to be part of each other's growth. So let's, let's read Ephesians 5, 21 through 33, the most probably popular um, passage of Scripture when it comes to marriage. Ephesians 5, 21 through 33 says this, Be willing to serve each other out of respect for Christ. 
Wives, be willing to serve your husbands the same way as the Lord. A husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church. Christ is the Savior of the church, which is His body. The church serves under Christ, so it is the same with you wives. You should be willing to serve your husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives the same as Christ loved the church and gave His life for it. He died to make the church holy. He used the telling of the good news to make the church clean by washing it with water. Christ died so that he could give the church to himself like a bride in all of her beauty. He died so that the church could be holy and without fault, with no evil or sin or any other thing wrong in it. And husbands should love their wives like that. They should love their wives as they love their own bodies. The man who loves his wife loves himself, because no one ever hates his own body, but feeds it and takes care of it. And that is what Christ does for the church, because we are parts of his body. The scriptures say, that is why a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one. That secret truth is very important. I am talking about Christ and the church. But each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So it's an awesome picture of our relationship with Christ, and that's exactly what it is. I mean, it's actually speaking about Christ and our relationship with him, but it's a picture of what the marriage relationship is supposed to be like. And like we were saying earlier, the world could tell you that first part of that. Yep, wives are supposed to be submissive to their husband. Wives are supposed to be subject to their husbands. But most men don't want to go to the second part of that, which is husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. Well, how did Christ love the church? Perfectly. Died for her. Sacrificed everything for her. Was willing to give up everything for her. Um, and when we love our wives like that, you'll have a dynamic marriage. People come to us all the time and say, I want an awesome wife. And Jackie will tell you, I literally look at those men and say, then you need to be an awesome husband. Or a lady will come and say, I just want my, I just want my husband to love Jesus. I just want my, my husband to be a godly man. And we say, then you just need to love Jesus and be a godly woman. Like, we always focus on the other. Like, I want Jackie to do this. I want Jackie to be like this. And she's saying the same thing. I want Keith to treat me like this. I want Keith to be like this. And what we find in Scripture is we're just supposed to outserve the other person. And when you look at what this passage of Scripture is saying, as, as you submit, as you both submit to Christ, and you place the other, this is another passage of Scripture, another, another other, um, think of others as more importantly than yourself. Again, this is your number one other, so if I'm going to think of others as more importantly than myself, I'm going to look for ways to serve people, then I ought to be looking for ways to put her, my number one other, my number one person, as more important than myself and serve her and love her that way. And if she's doing the same thing, I, I mean, I just believe we're going to have an outstanding, dynamic, godly marriage. But it's not going to come because we went to a conference and heard four ways to have a better life, four ways to have a better marriage, four ways to have a better sex life, five ways to pray better together. And I'm not, I kind of 
sounded like I was making fun of that. I told James today, I've actually been to some marriage conferences that were all about five things do this, four things do this, six things do that, and they all have made a big impact on my life. But nothing has made a bigger impact than just doing what God's Word says to do. Serving others, loving others, putting others' needs ahead of yourself. If they ask you to go one mile with them, go two miles with them. If they ask you for a drink of water, give them two glasses of water. Always go above and beyond, always loving, always serving. Lisa and Francis Chan wrote a book about, I think, five years ago called me, You and Me Forever. And one, the thing that stands out in that whole book to me, and they say a lot of great stuff in that book, but the thing that really resonated the most with me is they said you ought to wake up every day and try to outserve the other person. Just do that. Wake up every day and try to beat each other to service. Husband, try to wash the dishes before she does. Try to do the laundry before she does. Try to run the vacuum cleaner before she does. Try to mow the lawn before she does. Try to wash the car before she does. Try to gas it up before she does. Try to cook dinner before she does. And if the wife is doing the same thing, she's trying to beat him to the laundry and to the vacuuming and to the cleaning and to the dusting and to the dishes. I just can't imagine like you'd have much to fight about. You're serving too much. You're just doing too much for me. Uh, that's that, why I leave dirty dishes in the Yeah, she, Jackie says, she's heard me say me. that enough that she's like, and that's why I leave you the dirty mm-hmm. dishes. And what do I always say? And do I do them? Yeah. I do them uh, because I'm learning, not because I'm perfect, but because I'm learning. And I'm trying to, I am trying to uh, abide with Jesus and I'm trying to serve and love my wife. And I'm trying to do it like Christ loved the church, knowing that I'm going to fall short because it's a perfect, we're talking about perfection. And we're not going to hit perfection, but if that's the target, we're going to get better every day. And so here's some of the problem with that verse is as women, we're just like, you know, we're, God has designed us with a purpose in mind. Um, But that verse sometimes can feel like we don't have a place, like we just have to come underneath them and do whatever they say. And they're the boss. They have the final say. Um, And that's not what this verse at all is saying. It says, as he submits to the Lord and as I submit to the Lord, then we submit to each other. And so um, I do believe that God put our husbands as a protection for us, and we should be super thankful for that. Um, and part of the reason he did it is because we were, pro- we were shown in the garden, we, we can't be trusted. We can't trust ourselves. We need someone to come up, to come, to come underneath, to be able to like, what do you think about this? To bounce ideas off. They keep us out of a lot of trouble. Sometimes we get way ahead of ourselves, um, as women, and our guys keep us grounded sometimes, but um, I also believe that it's not like a, a guy here and a girl here, it's a barely like a, I don't know what to do with this microphone, because I, I talk with my hands, so it's like this right here, it's like a guy, like like I come underneath him, but but I stay super close, so it's not like a he lords over me, but I come underneath him, because in that position, I get to help him rise up to be the guy that God called him to be. Um, I have a lot of girls who will be like, you know, they're the leaders of the family. They wear the pants and they're proud of it. Thank you. Um, And so, you know, like, I want my husband to be the spiritual leader. And I'm like, well, you may have to shut up and sit down. (laughs) Like, he can't lead. He can't lead because you're taking charge. And so when you take, just one more second. So when, when, when the wife comes in and takes over, she her husband cannot lead. He cannot be the person that God called him to be. So we believe that, you know, in this verse, thank you, um, you're seeing a picture of God's protection over the wife, which is graciousness for him, for him to do that for us, but also for us to be able to come up and help our guys be who they were supposed to be. Um, 
guys, close your ears for just a second. Girls, like, I don't know if you, who has little boys in the room. Oh, I love little boys. I love them. But our little boys, do they want to be like, look at these muscles. This is so big and strong. And, like, and they want you to be like, you're so strong. Good job. What I'm learning is that he's no different. Look at you. You clean those dishes. You empty that dishwasher. Look at you. I am so proud of you. I and come in like, every yeah, time I, I mow the lawn. I come in every time I mow the lawn, and I'm like, ta-da. <laughs> no, seriously, take a look. Yeah. I'm like, look at that edge right there on the driveway. Look at that. One inch wide, one inch deep. Look at that. Cut so it. I, so I literally, I've learned, like, if I just take a few seconds, like, my goodness, I've never seen a lawn mow better than this. Are you kidding me? You mowed that lawn by yourself? You mowed that lawn. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, I did that. I did that. Um, and so our guys need that. But we have the power to come up underneath them and make them feel like they can conquer the world. There was a um, Shanti Felhan had said in one of her books that if a guy feels uh, respected at home and loved, mostly respected, but I mean, if he feels like he is a warrior at home, he can go to a job he hates, he can go do whatever he needs to do out in the world and come home because he, he knows this is, I'm safe here, I can, I'm respected here, I am, I'm a warrior, and so we have the potential to be able to pour that into our guys, but so this overarching picture of God's, of God's design for marriage, what, the way that I view this verse with that context is one day I'm going to be able to, like a dad to a daughter in a, at a wedding, to be able to literally present my person to Jesus on his wedding day. And I want to know in that moment when I pitch your key standing before Jesus and Jesus speaking words of well done, I'm so proud of you, look what you've done. I want to know in that moment, I did everything I could to help Keith Harmon get to that point. That he's not there in spite of my selfishness, in spite of my, my childish behavior, in spite of my refusal to grow up. But that he's there because I did my part to help push him to Jesus and um, vice versa. Like So we believe, why do we do this, that question? It's because... We have decided that we have someone who we've said, hey, will you do this life with me and partner with me to help me look more like Jesus? And what that does in that moment, it makes it me and you against the world. It's no longer me against you. It's me and you against the world. And tomorrow we'll go through a lot of how everyday stuff gets sifted through that. Because to do life this way means that I have to be in communication with the Holy Spirit, with God, about things about Keith. Otherwise, I'm going to be in the flesh with that. And so we're going to talk tomorrow about doing life in the spiritual realm in that space, right? Yes, and I, I mean, I love the way we sometimes, we don't really know how to do it. And I love that, you know, Jackie showed just one hand slightly below the other with just one index finger just right under the other one. But what I was reading this week and as we were even preparing for this, about Ephesians chapter 5 verses 21 through 33 is that in in a lot of ways it's describing some military rank so for the military people in the room they'll know um, a lot of times in the military you might feel like the the people above you are more important than you but if those guys are good leaders or those gals are good leaders they'll, they'll actually say that they're no more important it's just the order it's the rank it's, it's just the order because in the military everything is super orderly and Jackie and I believe that when we read the Word of God, we see that we serve a God of order, not of chaos, not of confusion. He's an orderly God. And it's, it's actually 
more of a rank thing. And just like in the military, sometimes those who could call all the shots serve more, put themselves in harm's way more, and, and do things they don't have to do. Not always, but sometimes. And then other times it's those who are below, who have put themselves below who are doing that. And in the marriage relationship, you can do the same thing. And, and I just think it's a beautiful picture. The other thing I love about it is for the wives who willingly do that, if, if you are growing in your walk with Jesus, look at what you're doing. As you're growing, you're pushing your husband up. Maybe even in a way that he doesn't realize that you are. You're encouraging him in the faith. You're spurring him on to be the man that God wants him to be. And just like when we, we tell our little boys, you know, yeah, your muscles are the biggest muscles. I mean, obviously, they're not the biggest muscles. Their arms are that big around, but we're building them up. We're, we're speaking words of encouragement to them. We do the same things. Wives, you do the same things for your husband. I mean, I'm sure I'm not the best lawnmower in the world, but she makes me feel like I am. And I know I'm not the best dishwasher in the world because I've seen the dishes when I'm done with them, but I'm trying. And, and I want her to be like, that's so great. And, and we do that, and husbands, we can do that for our wives as well. Um, what Jackie has to do for me, because I'm a typical guy, and uh, she's made a couple of jokes tonight about me not being in touch with my emotions and everything, so sometimes too much time will pass before I will build her up, and we'll be laying in bed at night, and she'll just go, say nice things about me. <laughs> and I'm like, really? <laughs> yes. And then so I do. So I normally, just learned he can't read my mind. Like, I don't know if y'all figured that out yet, but you think, I don't want to ask him. I want him to just tell me because he believes these things. But then I just learned, you know what? If I need to hear that and he's my person, then I need to just tell him. So I'll just, and I do it even to my night year old. Tell me what a good she, mom yeah, I am. Yeah, she does it to Please Alex remind too. Me, remind me why I keep putting up with you. Yeah, why am I, pay, <laughs> why am I paying for you to go to college? So, because we've got, Time together tomorrow and time together Sunday. Let's stop there because we don't want to go too much over the time that we've told those who are with our kids uh, what time we get down. But before we just completely wrap things up, any questions about something we've said that we were we confused you on or it didn't make sense or it was different than what you've heard before or thought before, anything at all that we can try to bring clarity to before we end our time together tonight? That was the part when she said, should I go there? And I said, go there. And she said, no, I'm not going to go there. But so, go I'll, so I'll tell you part of it, and then I won't tell you the rest until tomorrow. That way, that way you have to come back tomorrow. Cliffhanger. What? Yeah. So I am in bed late at night. I got home before the night's over, you know. So I'm laying in bed, super brave, waiting until we're almost both asleep. And then I'm like, oh, by the way, I've got to tell you something. And he's like, what? And so, you know, I in that moment, I'm like, taking out you know every shameful thing that that to me is like too much and um I lay it all out there for him this is what's going on this is where I'm at this is what you know and so then when I'm done I'm laying there in the dark and nothing 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 I didn't say anything he didn't say one word I was so, so afraid of saying the wrong thing that I made an even bigger mistake and didn't say anything so his wife just told her told him that he that she's literally suicidal with a plan and and that I actually left church on the Sunday morning during the worship because 
they were singing the song, You Are Good, You Are Good, I Will Not Sing It, because <laughs> not good. Um, but you, um, She will now. She wouldn't back then. She's like, I ain't singing <laughs> I mean, that. but my voice is not great. Um, but anyway, I thought, no way. I can't, I can't be in this room. Because I don't know if y'all realize that when you're singing worship songs, you're actually declaring that stuff. So if, you, if that stuff that you're saying you don't believe, you might as well just stand there and not say a word because you're actually saying those things. But, um, but I thought, no way. I, I can't hear it. I don't want to say it. I don't want to be in the room with it. And so I'm frantically grabbing my stuff, and I leave on a Sunday morning, and I'm thinking everyone's safe. Everyone is safe where they need to be. And um, so that was, that was the worst of the days. But so I, we went to, I fell asleep last night with, I mean, that night with just, like, tears, you know, like my eyes were a little drippy. And I thought, I know I was too much. I knew I was too much for him. This is why I didn't want to tell him to begin with because, I mean, I'm way too much for him. And so we went to sleep that night, and he didn't say one word. Yeah, but we'll tell you tomorrow. We'll, we'll tell you tomorrow how God redeemed all that. Why we're still together. Why? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because we would. We'd go over too much for me to tell you. But, but again, so that you don't hate me when you go to sleep tonight. Um, I don't even want to say I made it right. God made it right. Um, and my heart was in the right place. I'm just a stupid guy like the other guys in the room that feel that way about themselves. Sometimes we're so scared of saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing that we just don't do anything at all. And we learn as we grow in, with our spouse that sometimes it's okay to say the wrong thing. It's, it, it, I know now it would have been okay to just start crying and say, please don't do it. But I, I didn't feel the freedom in that moment. So we'll, we'll start tomorrow morning with that. What were you going to say or ask? I'm sorry. Um, you know, Miles was an integral part of helping my Alex grow into who he needed to be to learn, to learn not to be so selfish, to learn to have compassion and to see others the way Jesus sees them. Um, we worried about that for a long time, like how's this going to affect him? And and finally, Jesus spoke over it one day when I was praying about it and just said, "It's going to affect affect him in ways you're never going to believe." Like it's 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 part of who he is. So, yeah. and I'll say right now, because we haven't talked more, but if I could do it all over again, I wouldn't change a thing. Like, I would never want to be the me before Miles. I would not change one thing. Yeah. Um, he is, and that's the beauty Keith was alluding to earlier. Like, he's no different. There's not one thing different about this child. We're not the same people. And so, you know, if you've ever walked through hard things, I know a lot of people who walk through cancer or, you know, illnesses or deaths or you know, you walk through that, and when Jesus meets you in those dark spaces, um, you know, you, you never want to go back because of who he's revealed himself to you. And Alex is one of the most tender-hearted 19-year-old guys you'd ever meet in your life. We've heard, we've overheard him say to people that he has to date people who he thinks if he married them, they would be okay one day taking care of Miles with him. And we've never even, we've, we've never even alluded that that would be Alex's burden. We've never even had that conversation with him or in front of him we've actually never even had that com the conversations we have is where will he go when we can't take care of him well we've never said with James and Kara or with Alex you know we've just we've just never we've never gone into the nuts and bolts of that but he is a super sweet tender-hearted 19 year old guy who is I mean he's he's growing in his walk as well and he's heard us say what what y'all heard me say is 
I really think we would be horrible people. Now, again, I say that, and y'all could come up to me and be like, define horrible. Why, why do you say that? What I mean is somebody who thinks they're doing everything right, and they can check all the boxes of, I went to church on Wednesday, Sunday morning, Sunday night. I shared Jesus with somebody this week. I read my Bible every day. Uh, I've got some passages memorized, and you feel like you've, you've done your Christian duty, but you really know that you're full of pride and envy and jealousy and somebody pulls into the church parking lot with the truck that you want and you're upset because you're driving a 1993 Nissan. So that's just being as honest as I can be. That's what I mean when I say we would think we were really good and we would be horrible people. James? All right. I hope nobody has a 1993 Nissan. 